What's up guys, Dalton here. Before we hop into this episode of the PT Coffee Cast, I just wanted to touch base with you and say thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Whether this is your first time listening or you've been rocking with us since day one, we appreciate your support. Every like, comment, share, subscribe, whatever it is, truly does mean the world to us and it continues to push us to put out the best possible content for you guys. Before we hop in, I just want to talk to you about our partnership with Physio Network. Physio Network is on a mission to improve physiotherapy standards worldwide. They do this through their research reviews. If you sign up, you'll get 12 research reviews per month in both written and audio form. Articles are selected and appraised by industry experts such as Sandy Hilton, Mary O'Keefe, Tom Goom. Um, former PT Coffee Cast guests such as Teddy Wilsey, Sam Spinelli, Jared Hall, Tom Walters, and plenty more. They're clinically relevant and recently published, and they take less than five minutes to read one review, saving you hours of work. This also solves that problem that we all struggle with. How do we stay up to date with the research? Physio Network has you covered. They also give you access to a members-only Facebook group, and you can do quizzes that will get you CEU points. They got it all. If you guys are interested in trying out Physio Network, you can start your seven-day free trial now by using the link in the show notes or our bio on Instagram. This will give you the option to play around, see what you like. Do you like listening? Do you like reading? And just seeing the amazing content that they give you guys, and then you will join because Physio Network is amazing. We love to hear from you guys. If you have signed up for Physio Network, please let us know how your experience has gone. We'd love to hear, and we can pass on that information to them. Also, we are super pumped to finally announce the release of the Movement Coffee Club. What is this, you ask? This is a way that you guys can continue to connect and support the PT Coffee Cast community. So we have three clubs available for you guys. We have the Espresso Club, which each month you will get a personal message from Will and myself thanking you for the support. The second club we have is the Cafe Club, where you get everything in the Espresso Club, as well as a shout-out on an episode, put on the list of the Coffee Club supporters, and a bonus episode each month. And then lastly, we have our favorite club, the Mug Club. You get everything in the first two clubs, as well as a PT Coffee Cast mug, a monthly coffee subscription of our own coffee blend, and a monthly Mug Club Zoom call. The reason why we put this club out is we want to continue to develop ways that we can connect with you guys, the community, as well as have an opportunity for you to support us, um, show us some love, and allow for us to continue to develop and put out the best possible content. You guys can support us for as little as $3 a month. This money is going to go directly back into the podcast for new things like audio equipment, video equipment for better video content, merch, coffee, everything's going to go back into the PT Coffee Cast so we can continue to provide you guys with some pretty cool opportunities. If you're interested in supporting us, you can check the link in our bio on Instagram at the PT Coffee Cast or at the Movement PTs and click the Coffee Club as well as in our show notes of each episode, we'll have a link there for you to head over and join. Guys, thank you so much for the continued support and we hope that you enjoy this episode of the PT Coffee Cast. Welcome to the Movement PT Coffee Cast, where we sit down and talk about physical therapy, health, and whatever else comes to mind during our coffee infused conversations. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the PT Coffee Cast, brought to you by the Movement. My name is Dalton and not alongside me today is my beautifully bearded friend, William. He is still off doing new dad things. Um, He just has his kid. If you guys are checking in and you haven't heard our last episode, um, you know, Will has, has been awaiting his baby. He's now here and he's doing dad things. So just going to be me on the podcast today, but I'm super excited about our guest today. Um, We have Becca Schumer on the podcast. She is a graduate from George Washington University, where she played uh, dual sports there. Um, She's a physical therapist. She graduated in 2010. Um, She's had quite a journey of her own. Um, She's had 38 surgeries. Yep, you heard that right. 38 surgeries, which is definitely something we'll talk about um, today. Uh, And she's still very much practicing. um, And I'm excited to uh, have a conversation with her. So Becca, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How's your day going so far? Day is good. I've had too much coffee today. (laughs) I was just going to ask like, are you a coffee person? I figured we could start there. 
Yes, I guess I, we have to start there. Yeah, I'm a, a bit of a coffee snob. Okay. Um, nitro cold brew. If I'm going to go to Starbucks, nitro cold brew is where I'd start. Most people know me for that. However, I also like to venture out and try some like unique coffee spots around town. So now yeah. I'm with you on the, the nitro cold brew. Like if there's anything that just gets you fired up, yes. it's definitely nitro cold brew. But I'm curious if, you know, you're, you're classifying yourself as a, a coffee snob. Um, what, what are like some of your favorite ways to, to brew your coffee or what is like some of your favorite like coffees to consume outside of the nitro brew at some of these locations you go to? So I say I'm a coffee snob because I like black coffee. So the taste of coffee is very important. I don't like the burnt taste. Yes. So at home, I actually bought all the materials to make nitro cold brew at home. Nice. <laughs> yes. So including the foam. Um, I haven't done that in a little while, ran out of the CO2 canisters, but I used to do that. That's I have exciting. the French press. I admittedly have a Keurig when I'm feeling lazy, yep. but yeah, no, we have a lot of cool, unique, like random stores or random shops around town, uh, like hole in the wall places. So I just like yeah. to stop in and anywhere I like to travel a lot. So any town I'm in, I have to go get a coffee mug and a black coffee from some cool local spot, not a chain. Love it. Love it. So I have quite the collection going now. I can, I can imagine. Um, one thing that I would recommend, and, and we, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, if you've never heard of AeroPress before, um, AeroPress is a great way to brew, brew your coffee. I, you know, that's how we do a lot of it here. Um, it's like an easy, like simple way to do it. So definitely if you haven't tried the AeroPress, try Got it. it. Noted. <laughs> um, but let's dive into to a bit more about you. So I think, you know, why don't why don't you just do like a brief introduction of yourself? Give us a little bit of an overview of you, and then we can dive into um, you know more of your story and and your role as a physio and all that stuff. Sure. So I don't have a super exciting story. I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, I started. I was a late bloomer playing sports. I really didn't get into organized sports until high school. Played a little soccer in middle school. Um, I really didn't get into it until high school. And for some reason, I always knew I wanted to be a physical therapist, never deviated, never veered off that. Just that's, I knew I wanted to be a PT before I even started getting hurt. Um, something fascinated me about the human body my teammates getting injured. I wanted to figure out how to help them get better. Um, and then I started getting hurt myself, but kind of going backwards now. So I played, I earned 12 RC letters in high school, um, ultimately played, went to GW to play soccer and then got pulled into playing softball as well. Uh, and then unfortunately, my junior year of college, I sustained a Liz Frank dislocation, which pretty much ended my soccer career. Um, and that kind of just started the cascade, the avalanche of orthopedic issues. And I always knew I had some kind of hypermobility issue. Um, and I think, you know, as kids, we kind of get away with it for the most part. And we get away with it until we can't. So then we started becoming an issue and then just kind of sustained injury after injury. I started try to stay as active as I could. Um, every time a sport got taken away from me because of injury, I would try something else. So went from soccer to softball. I ran some ultra marathons um, a few years ago and I'm just trying to stay as active as I can and also working as a sports physical therapist in Baltimore, Maryland. So I have been a PT for now a little over 11 years. I started an inpatient for nine months, lasted only nine months, and then transitioned to outpatient orthopedics, where I pretty much have worked with athletes my entire career, which is pretty unique and really cool. Um, so right now I'm working out inside of U.S. Cross headquarters for MedStar Health in Baltimore, Maryland. Um, we have a unique setup here where we have a field outside, a whole gym, and then our PT clinic. So we see a ton of ACLs, primarily ACLs, but also other post-op um, recoveries, surgeries, and weekend warriors and everything in between. So it's kind of like my career and my injuries kind of melded together into one, one path, one journey for me. Yeah. And Maryland is a big lacrosse state, correct? It is huge yeah. here. Yep. Yeah. So that must be cool. You must be seeing a lot of high level at, like, I know a little bit about lacrosse out that way. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. I think like John Hopkins is that out that mm -hmm. way. Yeah. So like, and I know mm -hmm. that they're pretty big in the cross world, like the little that I know. Um, so yes. That's cool that you get to work probably with a high, a lot of higher level athletes. It sounds like that's something you enjoy doing. Yeah. My first lick of seeing lacrosse was actually, actually the men's and women's national team up here. Um, 
they had a tournament called the fall classic up here our first year and it was incredible i mean the game is requires so much coordination athleticism it's kind of a combination of multiple sports the men's and women's game is, is very different as well uh, the rules are different but i have a true appreciation for the sport of lacrosse and i've really enjoyed learning more about it and you know as you said watching the, the best of the best play here last a couple weekends ago we had um the NCAA national championship teams here along with team Canada and the U S teams, senior team, and their other developmental teams. And it was just, it's incredible. The play, the level of play. Yeah. That's the one I always tell people this, like I played hockey growing up, I played basketball, eventually transition transition into football. And that's kind of where I put a lot of my efforts, but I always like say, Oh man, I wish I would have played lacrosse here in Canada. It's more like box lacrosse. Like we're big on, on that, but field lacrosse is, I think it's starting to become a little bit more popular, but obviously in the U S I know that's a big part, obviously with like the division one level mm-hmm. of lacrosse and even just watching, even just watching field lacrosse, I'm like, Oh, this is a game that I wish I would have got into. Um, yes. I, I'm with you. It wasn't too big when I was in high school. It was just starting to grow. So I kind of missed it. But uh, no, I'm, I'm learning now. It's never too late to learn. And I definitely have. I love watching it. So it's really cool that I had, can just walk outside and watch it now. For sure. Um, before we dive into like, you know, your first injury and then dive into all that other stuff, I'd be curious, like, what about like, what did you learn from sport, you know, that that's kind of translated over to to your day to day now or to your life now? First off, I think playing multiple sports was is sort of unique right now. Um, so playing multiple sports, definitely got to learn different coaching styles, different teammates, how to work with different types of people, uh, which helps obviously with, you know, different management uh, systems and colleagues. They all have different personalities. We all kind of treat differently. So you just kind of learn to work with everybody of any style. Um, obviously time management is a big one. Our practices were at six in the morning, I think in, in college. So I'm a morning person through and through now. Um, I mean, just so many things, responsibility, um, loyalty, just teamwork, working together towards a common goal. I could go on and on. There's so, I mean, it's the lessons learned have been invaluable. Yeah, no doubt. Um, especially being a dual sport athlete, I'm sure you had very little time to, uh, <laughs> to breathe. Yeah, that, uh, again, that wasn't planned going into college. Um, and then my first spring, I, try to do both at the same time plus go to school and I just got so burnt out so it became like one sport per per season right um yeah so time management was a big big one definitely um you know when when I you know we we first talked on Instagram and you're telling me a little bit about your story and then I've I've kind of been looking into to a little bit more on my own and when you see something like 38 surgeries that someone's gone through um it, it seems almost like not real, you know, cause that seems like a crazy amount of surgeries for, for someone to go through. Um, but did it like, did it all stem from the first one that you had? Like, has it kind of been compounding off of that initial injury or are these like, I'm, I'm assuming it's not all 38 are separate, but is it, is it kind of one-off injuries or they're all related together in some sense? Yeah, that's a good question. So my injury sort of started when I was a kid. Um, my shoulders would just pop out for no reason. My shoulder blades would pop, like just wing excessively. Uh, so I remember as a kid going to the doctor, just trying to figure out what that was about, you know, sprinting ankles for no reason. Just a lot of like things related to hypermobility that at the time I didn't, wasn't in this field. I didn't understand it. Um, so I really didn't suffer. I had some minor injuries in high school that didn't pay much attention to. I didn't have to spend too much time off the field from. It wasn't until I got to college that it really started to become an issue. Um, The volume of training initially got me some stress fractures, which were non-surgical. So I've had, while I've had 38 surgeries, I've also had plenty of non-surgical injuries that kind of happened before the surgery started. Um, But yeah, so in my junior year, I suffered the Liz Frank dislocation on my left foot. It just took a funny step, kind of dislocated and down I went. Um, and that subsequently had 16 surgeries ultimately with a fusion. Um, so that was the bulk of the issue, all the surgeries that was junior year. And then I had a couple of shoulder surgeries just cause my shoulder kept popping out and it became an issue, became painful. Um, and then I got the bright idea of running some ultra marathons and that kind of did me in. 
that did a number on my body. So I ran two ultra marathons within three weeks of each other. And that's just destroyed my body. Um, that led to cartilage in my knee breaking down beyond repair. We tried to do like an osteotomy to realign it with the Macy procedure, cartilage procedure that failed. I ended up with a partial, uh, I've had tendon tears on my ankle, which ended up with an allograft. I've had a couple labral reconstructions, a couple scopes. So yeah, it's, it's kind of been like one after the other and just, you know, some of it is related to the hypermobility for sure. Like causing the issues. Part of it is, um, while I tear like easy and quick and fast, I also recover kind of fast when I have surgery and then I tend to overdo it. So I am at fault for some of these things, not all of them, but I can take ownership that I'm learning to hit the pause button a little more and trying to really kind of balance where I am and uh, not rush back so fast, even if I feel good. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, it's a learning experience, right? And I feel like we probably, you you do the same, but as physiotherapists, we, we preach that it's a learning experience, right? So not only we're not, we're not separate from the people that we work with. We're all, we're all in it kind of learning ourselves. So I totally, totally get uh, where you're coming from. Um, the 16 surgeries that you had, is that like, in what span are we talking here? For the foot? Yeah. Uh, got hurt October 6, 2004. And then I think 2008 or nine was probably my last one for the left foot. Right. And was that kind of what, um, ended your university playing career then? Yeah. So I tried to come back from that and I just, I couldn't, I just kept having pain in my midfoot. Um, I tried to shy away from the fusion initially, which is now kind of the gold standard for that injury really didn't want my foot fused as a 20 something year old. Um, that's what it ended up with. I wish I had done it sooner because I ran ultra marathons with no issue to that foot. Um, but here I am. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think you sit in a really unique spot with having gone through something like this and then going and working with, with, um, you know, athletes, specifically, you mentioned a lot of ACL, um, injuries, which is, is a big, you know, the surgery itself is, is very much streamlined now, but the re- rehab process is extremely rigorous. Um, so I think you, you know, I'm sure you offer a lot of insight to, to the athletes that you're, that you're working with, but what I'd be curious to hear is from your perspective, when it was going, when it was happening, you know, what was your mindset around the, those surgeries? Like I could, I could try to, you know, put myself in that situation. Imagine that it was, you know, very frustrating to, continue to have to try to deal with this issue. And I'm sure, you know, you wanted to get back to sport because it obviously is a huge part of your life. So what was like your mindset going into those surgeries? How did that maybe change over the course of time? Um, and then we can dive into how you help your athletes think through some of this stuff. Sure. So with each surgery, you would think it would get easier to kind of mentally deal with. Honestly, I think it gets harder each time because I kind of know what to expect. Um, Every time I get hurt and I try to treat myself conservatively, and for the most part lately, that has not worked. Uh, frustration and devastation don't even like are not big enough words to describe how I feel inside. Um, you know, and now I'm working. So not only do my injuries prevent me from moving how I want to, it affects my job as well, my ability to do my work that I'm extremely passionate about. Um, so growing up in college, you know, I could get away with it. It was a little easier. Like all I was managing was school and rehabbing. Um, but now as an adult, it takes much more greater toll on my life. Um, so that downtime, you know, those first couple of weeks post-op, you know, that you have to just kind of lay low. Um, and I remind myself, you know, that I want to skip the beginning part because the beginning, beginning part sucks. You can't do anything. You really have to lay low. If you're on whatever joint you're on too fast, it's going to swell. You're going to delay your healing. Um, so, but that those first two weeks are brutal, um, I have all the tools in my toolbox. You know, I know all the things I have, all the shows, the podcast music, I have friends come over uh, and get out of my house as much as possible. But those first two weeks, I try any, when I get kids too, we're kind of, kind of jumping 10 steps ahead. But when I get patients prehab, I I kind of warn them. I'm like, it's going to be hard and just kind of set them up to have that mindset. And it's, it's okay that it's going to suck and it won't last forever, but what I tell myself is that it is temporary, you know, like those 
those hard beginning times are not going to last forever. And if I can just sit still for a couple of weeks, it's going to pay off in the end. Um, that's not to say that it's, it's easy by any means. It is not. Um, but I think I've gotten better at it as surgeries go on. I have to, you know, I can't, yeah. I can't keep doing this. I'm, I'm over this. So. And yeah. I think we can kind of weave in and out of like your experience in the physio perspective. Cause I think that'd be kind of cool how, you know, now sitting in the physio side, like really thinking about those first two weeks in that acute phase, like where you're, you know, you've struggled. Um, what are some ways that, you know, you mentioned like preparing people from, Hey, like, you know, maybe have some podcasts or some people like set those things up, but from like a recovery standpoint as a physio, what expectations are you setting for people early on in that phase to help them kind of get through that part? Like, I think that's always super important um, for the, the overall outcome of the rehab experience. I think a lot of the kids and um, even older people would kind of feel bad for asking for help. Like you kind of lose your independence and you're not away from your, I mean, you are away from your team possibly for the first time in your life. So just setting up time to be with friends, to talk to friends, just staying connected in whatever way we can. Um, I try to give them as much as I can do physically for them without jeopardizing what they're going through to show them like, yes, you're healing, but you, there's still plenty that you can do. Um, again, like if they're not in school, cause if they're in school, then they have homework and stuff to work on. But I don't know. I just remind them that like, it's going to be hard and that's okay. Like it's okay to be upset. It's okay to be frustrated. Like it's not going to last forever. Um, I've had times where, you know, the kids just, you can tell it's really taking an effect or, you know, they're really getting depressed or having eating issues. Cause that can come up post-op and I'm not shy to refer out to like a sports psychologist or psychiatrist or nutritionist, you know, bring in anyone to help out, to get them through that, those tough times. Um, yeah, I try to mentally prepare them because to me, like the physical part's kind of easy. Um, but dealing with the mental aspect of going through an injury and not being able to do what you love to do. It's just a lot of people identify as an athlete and then you take that away. It's like what's left. Um, so trying to expand the other areas of life um, in that short term. And I also talk about like, when's the last time you've had the time to go do all those other things, because yeah, yeah. usually you're running around to practices and games and training and school. And now you have some time to kind of maybe find a new hobby. Um, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, no, it's really good. It's a really good point. And I, you know, you touched on a couple, I think really good things, um, you know, with referring out or just the physical side of things, you know, I think, especially for athletes, like they, they know how to do that stuff. They're, they're regimented. They know most people are like, Hey, if I got to do this work, I'm going to do this work probably maybe to a little bit of a fault at times. Yep. Right. Um, but the mental side of, the, of it, which, you know, bringing in sports psychologists or talking about nutrition and, and all that stuff, I think is, I'm assuming now more relevant to the conversation, but you know, probably not as much as it should be. Um, and I think that it's, it's important and it's, it's cool to hear that you, you know, you're really thinking about those things for, for the people that, um, you work with, you mentioned the, you know, loss of identity as in a sense, like, did you experience that in your early days, especially like when you were playing, you know, division one sports? Oh, hundred percent. Uh, I remember my, when I had the list Frank and I met with the head athletic trainer kind of I think it was when I first got hurt. I wasn't heading for surgery at the time, but he was like, you're going to need to find a new hobby, like read a book or something. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. what are you talking about? Like, I'm an athlete. I play the sport. Like, I don't, I don't want to do other things. So when I talked to my kids about it, I remember that conversation when I was in their shoes and how hard it is. And you can say all the right things and give all the suggestions. And at the end of the day, like they want to be playing their sport. And I, I get that. And it's taking me so many different tries and journeys to kind of figure out something to replace that competitive aspect that I've lost. And honestly, I, you can't, you can't fill that void. Like nothing fills that void. And I think I've come to accept that, you know, the kids at rehab, they're for the most part, 99% of them get back to doing what they love to do and playing their sport. Um, but for me personally, I just, I have to come to terms that uh, it, competing for me is just going to jeopardize all the other things in my life that I love and take me further away from that. Um, and again, nothing can fill that void of wanting to compete and expressing that. 
Um, and that's okay. I I've been trying for years to find something to fill that void and I, nothing will, and that's okay. And that's taken a long time to get to that point for me. Yeah. That's, uh, that's interesting to hear, hear you say that. And I, it's, uh, I'm glad that you've been able to like come to that and realize that. Cause I sure it's something that has been challenging, obviously by the sounds of it. What have, what have been some things that have helped you get to that point? Like personally, have you, you know, have you, worked with a psychologist have you done some of your own learning um diving into these things you know because I think the sooner the sooner athletes can start to think about some of these things I think the better off they'll be when that time comes because you know as much as everyone wants to make it to the pros and it's this very small percentage obviously so I think the better prepared athletes can be for that transition or maybe not even transition but the acceptance that you're talking about um, can be super helpful yeah I and it doesn't necessarily have to be an injury that ends a career it could right. all athletes at some point retire um, so just hearing you speak what um, a few things came to mind. Uh, I think it would be incredible if athletes could be prepped to kind of prepare their mindset or whatever, kind of learn different tools to deal with that time because it comes and you're like, now what, you know, like the season ends and you're done. So like, what do I do with my time? Um, so I think even bringing in a sports psychologist, and I think they, they're doing more of this now, but just on a more frequent basis, not just like a one-time lecture, but kind of following up to some degree, I think that would be incredible. Uh, for me, I've done a lot of just personal development and learning a lot about um, like just changing your mindset, changing your thoughts. So that's something that's kind of helped me a lot. If I get a negative thought or I get upset that I can't do something, I know it sounds cheesy, but I just try to reverse it and think about like all the things I still can do. And I still can do a lot of things. And while I say like I don't compete, I don't compete in sports, but I find little ways to compete like with my colleagues or, you know, we do like these crazy exercises and I'll get to show off something at some point. It's not what it used to be, but you know, those little moments that aren't going to jeopardize my health. Um, that's helpful too. But yeah, a lot of it is mindset. Um, it's easy to get stuck in that negative mindset, that negative loop. We have so many thoughts in our head all day and just, it takes, it's like a muscle. You got to strengthen it. You got to keep practicing, changing your mindset and switching it to a positive thought. Mm -hmm. It works eventually, but it won't work immediately. Yeah. And it's not easy, right? It's no, not easy. Not no, easy. that's the thing. Um, you know, do you thinking of coming back kind of to working with some, some of your athletes, maybe, you know, now they're making it through that acute phase more into what I would say is the ex more exciting part of, of rehab where now they're starting to see that little bit of light to getting back to where they, they want to go. But I think there's always, you know, I always describe this to, to the clients that I work with is like, there's always levels that you kind of go up. Right. And every time you try to make that level up, there seems to be some form of resistance that, that you'll hit that brings on those negative thoughts or that feeling of like, I'm never going to get back to where I was. Um, what are, what are some ways that you help them in that moment, reframe some of those things like you're talking about, you know, it sounds like you use gratitude in terms of like, I'm, I'm I'm grateful that I'm able to do these things, but are there some things that you implement strategically, whether it be into their rehab program from an exercise perspective or some things that maybe you guys just have conversations about within your, within your sessions? Yeah, that's a great question. I kind of like in ACL rehab, it's like a video game. We unlock different stages of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, kind of what you just said about the levels that just made me think of that. So a lot of the times, like there's a lot of doubt whether they can do a specific task or as you're saying, like, how am I going to get back to the level that I was playing? And oftentimes they're capable of doing way more than they think they can. So in our safe environment or clinic, I can have them do those things and say like, see, like you're, you're able to do it. Or we have a lot of patients, you know, post-op ACL, we're doing the hop test for the first time as an introduction to returning to play testing. And they'll do it. They'll say like, they'll hop one hop and they'll get a distance. They'll do their uninvolved side. They'll get a much greater distance. And I can see that they're capable of doing more. They're just kind of mentally like just not do, not going for it. They're a little hesitant. So I'll put a marker on the floor and they'll hit it every time. It's just, it's about trusting it and just get, getting confidence in that, in that leg. Um, but yeah, we have conversations about their goals and just, you know, looking at other athletes who have had setbacks and they get back to playing even better. Talk about how this is a great opportunity to work on all those other things we've been neglecting in their bodies to make them better than they were before. 
Um, I really use it as a time, like just a ton of education that this is your body for your life. And you're learning so many tools that it's going to put you ahead of the game, whether you play in high school, college, beyond, you're going to know how to take care of yourself, which a lot of people don't know how to do. So even though you're, you're here for surgery or whatever, like use this time to just learn as much as you can soak in as much as you can. And you're going to be ahead of the game when you get back because of all the things that you learned. Yeah, that that's awesome. And um, you know, I, I agree with like the gamifying of it. I think it's super important, especially again, when you're working with athletes who are, are most of them are very like, like focused on that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the, uh, the idea of switching into an opportunity to work on other things, I think is also important. And I think it gives people a, a great perspective on, on life. And, you know, as much of it is, as a, as much as it's a challenging time, I think you can really gain a lot about yourself in, in those kind of moments and, you know, pull on that when you finally do get through this, cause it's not going to be the last time that you're going to face adversity, you know, outside of whether that be in sport or whether that be in life. Um, and I think like trying to have people see it from that perspective just makes that process go smoother. It definitely doesn't make it easier by any means, but I think it, it can help like make it a little bit smoother for them. Yeah. No, ACL is well, specifically ACL right hip. It's just a long, long process. So I kind of lay it out in the beginning that, you know, it's a nine to 12 month recovery and you're going to have times where you're doing awesome and like seeing a lot of progress at certain times. And there's going to be times when you're just, you've been going at it for months and months and months, and you're going to hit a time where you just need to take a break and that's okay. Like in any normal training load, you would take a deload or a little time off and just, that's okay. So I kind of just prepare them. Like it's, if you need to take a break, you know, we can talk about that. I really am mindful of when they walk in the door, like you can tell how they're carrying themselves. You get to know the kids. I treat a lot of kids and, you know, you get to know them. It's a long time to spend with each other. Um, so kind of modifying how they present that day is also is really important and taking the, the individual into account and knowing when to push, knowing when not to push. Totally. Yeah. That kind of art of understanding the client in, in, yep. Something else I want to touch on it and it just came to my mind is I think too, a lot of times for these athletes, this is the first time, I mean, when it comes to confidence, some, it's a lot of times where, you know, for these higher level athletes, it's the first time that they may be even lacking this confidence. Like they maybe have never experienced anything like this before because they've always been top level. So good, you know, having all those things. And now they're faced with a time where their body, the thing that they use on a daily basis to perform is now not performing or they're fearful of performing. And I think that can be a really tricky thing for, for someone to navigate. Like, did you experience that with your injury? And then, you know, thinking about some of the people that you work with, um, has that been the case for people and how do you navigate that? I think I'm on the opposite and to that spectrum, I think I don't have enough fear. <laughs> That's, a good point. That's a good point though. Cause yeah. I'm sure obviously there's people that are like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I'm not, I feel like I've done enough rehab and I, I'm, I feel like a cheater when I rehab. Cause I, I know what to do and like how to test myself to some degree. Um, so I could use a little more of that, that fear button that, that's why I call it. I found my pause button this year, just learning how to slow down actually. Yeah. Cause even if I feel great, just because I can, doesn't mean I should do something, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, which is more of the majority of what I see is that, that fear. Um, and we do so many tests to show them, like, look how strong you are. Like, look where you were a month ago, you were walking on crutches in a brace and now you're walking like a normal human again. Um, so just showing them like that objective stuff, it's hard for them to see on a day-to-day -day basis. Cause they're living in it. Right. That's hard. Also, you know, just getting back on the field and that you just have to get into it. You know, um, I've had, you know, as, as with like braces, some people want to wear them because they feel more confident and trusting their legs. Some people don't wear them when returning to sport. It really is just the spectrum of just everyone falls along at different places and you kind of have to work with them. Some people need a little more, you know, work in that area. Um, and again, like, like I said earlier, if they're really struggling with that mental piece and getting that block, then I will really recommend seeking outside help just to tackle that faster. Um, because if they're playing scared or hesitant or fearful, then they're, they're for sure going to hurt themselves again, putting themselves at risk. 
So I'll try to expose them as much as I can in the clinic and, you know, we'll run and push them, you know, like game, you know, simulate as much as we can the sport. Um, but yeah, you, again, you just have to work with where they are and address those issues as they arise. Definitely. And I could see in, in, again, I haven't worked with a lot, like we see, we see an athletic population here, but not like, you know, we're not dealing with division one athletes or high, high level athletes, some, but not all of them. Um, but I think there might, you know, and you can maybe correct me or, or add to this, like, there's probably some vulnerability to going back to sport in a sense from the athlete of like, ex- trying to accept that, Hey, I'm going to go out here to perform, but I'm probably not going to be able to perform at my best right away, especially on the return to sport aspect of things when you're, you're kind of having like, uh, them gradually return. So maybe they're only doing a certain amount of shifts, or maybe they're only getting a certain amount of like runtime or whatever it may be. Um, I could see from an athlete perspective, being some vulnerability and accepting that, like, they're not going to be at the level that they were right away. And that could be probably challenging at times. Yeah. So, you know, we work with like the coaches, athletic trainers to kind of talk about the expectations of that. And obviously the athlete, we have those talks about expectations um, and kind of try to set out like a realistic goal for them to say like, okay, like today we're 25% next week, let's try to go 10% a week or a month, whatever. When I test ACLs at say six months and I do a strength test and they have like a 30% deficit, Typically it takes about a month to reduce that by 10%. So I'll know like, okay, we have three months and this is the goal. So they really like those. They're very goal driven for the most part, which is very helpful. Um, But yeah, having just, you know, giving them things to work towards and knowing like the expectation is not that you just had surgery. You're going to be a hundred percent in a month. Like that's not realistic. You know, the Adrian Peterson's are few and far between. Right. Right. And, and I think it's constantly trying to remind them of those things over and over and over again, you know, cause it's hard. Like, it, like you said, it's a long process for, for especially ACL, but for most surgeries, it's a long process. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, you're constantly reminding people of that, even, even outside of athletes or surgical, you know, post-ops that you work with just the average population. I feel like I'm constantly trying to keep them, keep that in their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, I would, would like to hear, you know, the experience of, of re-injury, right. And going into another surgery like that, again, after going through such a long process, let's say from like an ACL or, or what you went through, and then you do all this rehab, you work super hard. And then here you are, you re-tear or you have a, a re-injury that puts you back into to the operating room. Like take me through your experience with that, like how, how that was on, on the mental side of things. And then maybe we could talk a little bit about how you help your athletes if that they've experienced that kind of deal with it. Yeah, absolutely. So personally I can, I'll just use my knee as a, you know, good example. So I had, um, cartilage damaged my medial femoral condyle. It's pretty big. Um, so they tried what's called a Macy procedure. So they took a piece of my cartilage off a non-weight bearing surface, sent it to a company. They grew it on a Petri dish and then sent it back, packed it on my femur and then broke my tibia, put a wedge in to realign my leg to take me out of some varus to unload the inside of my knee joint. Um, unfortunately, when they went in to do the surgery, there was a lot more damage than they had expected. And the surgery didn't have great odds of working. And that was an extremely hard and long and painful rehab. Yeah. And it pretty much failed 10 weeks post-op. Um, it was awful, awful. So I was pretty, I was waiting for a allograft um, cartilage, actually, graft. And while waiting for that, my tibia broke down too much and I was no longer a candidate for that procedure. So that only left me with the partial knee replacement option. So I basically had to start all over again. Um, so I had a lot of just love anger and frustration and like just to go through all of that for nothing feelings. And I still feel that way. Like I still hold, like, I'm just still angry about it. Um, but at the same time, the partial knee replacement pretty much gave me my life back. I didn't have a choice. So like my quality of life was, was awful. So while I, it sucked knowing that a, I was losing half my knee, um, was hard to swallow at my age. Um, I didn't have a choice. I couldn't get off the floor. I couldn't do stairs. I could barely walk. It was, to be my age and have those things happening. It just wasn't okay. Um, but going into that, you know, expectations, I had no idea what to expect. And I'm extremely grateful that it went pretty well. I can do all the things I want to do with regards to my knee. It's not an issue anymore. 
Um, but yeah, it, it's just so hard when you put in all that work and energy and time and money and you have high hopes and then it fails. And that's failure is, you know, when we sign those consent forms, it's a possibility. It's a risk of surgery, not all surgery. I think we go in thinking like, I'm going to have a surgery, I'm going to be fixed. Um, but it doesn't always work that way, unfortunately, especially with ACL tears. It's very common to tear the opposite side or their same side within two years. Um, and I've had too many kids uh, have re-tears. And it's the kids that are the non-contact that keep tearing the same side. I just, my heart breaks for them when they come back to the clinic. I'm just like, they look so good, you know, after their rehab, they really cleared everything. They look golden. And even, you know, I've had athletes return to seasons and they've been fine. And then just one step and it's boom, starting all over again. Um, and working with the kids that like they're, they want to play in college and they can't, or they shouldn't because they're on their third ACL and they need their knee for the rest of their life. Having those conversations, it's, it's awful. And it, it takes, I've worked with, thankfully I work with kids that are very mindful and level-headed and they, they cope very well. I don't know if I'm just, I don't know if, if it's just what they've been through or what, but I don't know. They kind of, they, they're able to see long picture long-term and realize like, if I keep going, like what's the rest of my life going to look like? Um, and that's a conversation I have with them too. Like they're on their third rehabbing. I'm like, is it, is it worth it? Like, do you really, do you want to go through this again, potentially? Mm-hmm. So at some point you have to have that conversation. Like, what is it? What are we doing? Like, what is this for? Is this worth it? Yeah. And those are, those are, I, I can imagine very tough conversations to, to have to have with them. And, and I think as, as physios and healthcare professionals, like, you know, we, we have to have those conversations and as much as, you know, I'm sure you don't want to have to have that conversation with someone. I think, I think it's important to at least lay out what the the future could look like. And then ultimately it's going to be up to the individual always to, to make, you know, the choice for themselves, which it should be, but you know, I think it, from our perspective, we need to be honest in laying out what those, those things look like as, as crappy as it might be for, for that individual. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're spending so much time with these kids. Like if I have kids that have torn their ACL two or three times, like that's years that I'm with this family, you know, mm-hmm. we get to know the family, the kids, the parents. So while these conversations are often had with the doctors and surgeons, obviously, like the families come to trust you and your opinion. And you have to be ready to take those, you know, those questions and give a fair response and be honest, you know, you have to be honest with them. Especially as physios, I think we get, which I, which I love about our profession is we get the opportunity to spend a lot more time with these people, right? Like surgeons are not spending nearly as much time as we are. We see them on a a weekly basis for sure. Um, So I think that's a really cool thing. Um, and I, and I say this a lot, like we shouldn't take that for granted in our healthcare profession. We need to really make sure that we continue to show people how valuable that is to their health. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. So that we don't lose that. Exactly. Yeah. This is kind of off, off like the, the mindset side of things, but like, what do you think, in a, and you don't have to have this answer because I'm sure a lot of people are trying to figure this out, but with regards to these like re-tears, like, you know, you're talking about a young person on like their third ACL tear and like, what do you, what do you think's driving these things like why are why is there so many retears why at such such young ages like you know i don't know if it's we weren't really paying as much attention like back in the day and like it, you know it's just now we're so much more under like understand the process and people can get surgeries and have have success of going through surgery and getting back but it just seems like it's a crazy amount no it's i think it's a combination of a lot of things so I mean, I could talk for hours on this, but is it, was it a contact or non-contact? If it's non-contact that throws up a yellow flag, um, as far as, you know, they're playing all year round, often the same sport, you know, being a multi-level or um, playing multiple sports, you're using your body in different ways compared to like doing the same thing over and over and over again. Um, so they're just more strain and stress on the same areas of the body, I guess. Uh, with regards to strengthening the posterior chain, I think that's not done enough early enough um, for kids and just, you know, body neuromuscular control training stability. Like I think if we did that earlier on, that would help um, learning mechanics and learning how to run properly. 
the turf plays a part. I mean, there's so many factors, but you know, when the kid walks into me and they don't have great muscle tone and they're a little hypermobile throughout their whole body, they had a non-contact injury. Um, they just have that valgus posture. I'm just like, uh, like I'm like in my head, I'm like, Oh, this is not, not great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of figured it was going to be a combination of, of, of all those things, obviously, but, um, you know, I, again, just, I think it comes back to the importance of our, our position as, as physiotherapists to continue to like, try to advocate and get, a, and get in front of as many people as we can, especially in, in, you know, specifically younger athletes, like in the world that you live in and just like educate people on the importance of the, the things that you just talked about um, yeah. so that we don't continue or we reduce the amount that, that, you know, that we're seeing because, you know, it's unfortunate that there's, you know, a young kid that's had three ACL tears that at the age of, you know, whatever, even if it's 20, it's like now making a decision, like I need to stop doing this because of, um, because of these ACL tears when maybe, you know, we can never prevent the completely eliminate injuries, but like if we could reduce the risk of it and there's probably some little things that can get changed that could probably go a long way for, for these, these athletes. So you took the word out of my mouth. I, I gave a talk last week to a soccer club and they called it injury prevention. And I immediately crossed that word out and I said injury risk reduction. Mm-hmm. I really don't believe we can prevent these things. Like how many times does that kid take in that step or that cut or whatever? Like why in that one moment, it was just the right time at the right place, the wrong time at the right, wrong place, you know? So yeah, I think if we, you know, we'd start grassroots and just work our way up and teach as many, as you said, just get in front of as many kids, parents, coaches, and just educate them on all of this. And thankfully we work for a company that does a lot of that community outreach. Um, but it takes, you know, everyone, we need more people doing that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think again, coming back to your, your situation, you know, you sit in a really unique spot to, to be able to really, um, align with the those individuals right have gone going through the the process yourself with all with all these surgeries like i think people can you know listen to that and be like oh okay she she understands this and and you're involved in the rehab process now it's like continuing to have people like yourself um you know you're probably not the only one that's gone through these processes to to really advocate for for these things which i i I know you are but it just kind of this conversation just always reminds me of those things Mm-hmm. Yeah. I th- as I kind of s- talked about earlier, like the, going through all these things, it's like my superpower, my secret superpower. Cause I do have, like, I've been through this. I haven't had ACL surgery, knock on wood real fast. Um, I've had plenty of other stuff, but I've been through the journey and over and over and over again. And I think I try to be a good role model that, you know, there's still other stuff you can do trying to, you know, find other hobbies and I'm still active. I still, you know, I get to help people all day long, do what they love to do. And, you know, there's still a lot more to life than just, just sport. So hopefully I get that across with how I treat and live my life. Yeah. Yeah. Now your most recent surgery, that was how long ago? Four weeks ago. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought you were, you were in the process of, of recovering. How, how is that? How's that been going for you? Good. I mean, my patient's they, they say they can't tell anything happened to me. So I'll take that as a, a plus, a bonus. Um, I'm still trying to go slow. I would love to be hiking. I was supposed to go to like Grand Teton and Yellowstone last month. So I had to cancel that. Um, so I'm just trying to work my mileage back up slowly and go easy and, and light. I'm not a big cold person, so I don't hike as much in the winter. So my goal is to be back out there by the spring. So I have plenty of time to, to still work on things, let things heal and and get back to doing what I love to do. Yeah. And you talked about, I think you said like the pressing pause or, or the, whatever the word that you used was what, um, you know, you talk about this being a, a learning experience and it's called a constant learning experience for everyone, but what, uh, what's your, your takeaway from, from this last surgery and what you're kind of applying moving forward? Again, like every time I have a surgery, I'm like, how am I going to get through this? Like, again, like I can't, I can't do this. I don't want to do this. Just like I go through that pity party. Um, I don't try not to get stuck in that. Um, with this last one, it wasn't anything I did. I had heterotopic 
heterotopic ossification, so extra bone growing into my new tendon. So it's nothing I did to cause this one, which makes it even more frustrating. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yes, I just, they had to reattach, detach, reattach my tendon. Um, so even though I'm strong, there's no way in four weeks that thing is scarred down and, and strong. So I'm really just trying to practice sitting still and not pushing any weight bearing, heavy loading, just trying to listen to my body and sit still more than I, I think I need to. <laughs> It's very hard. I'm not saying it's easy by any means. I would love to be outside doing things, but I'm trying very hard to just sit and be okay with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's tough. Um, last question. Um, have you picked up a new hobby? I know it's something that they told you to do way, way back. Um, have you picked up a, a new hobby that, that you would enjoy outside of like your career? You can tell that you're super passionate about that and like really trying to advocate and push for things, but, um, yeah. Is there anything, anything you found? Uh, I've always been into art. Actually, a lot of people don't know that I like to draw, um, painting. I've actually, this is a good one because I've been drawing all my life. I got into plants. So now I'm like a plant mom. Okay. <laughs> it got every, every time I have like a big surgery, I get an indoor plant just to, it's nice to look at something pretty. Yeah. I went a little over, I've had like eight surgeries in a year. So I have like eight plants in my house now. <laughs> So I can't have any more surgeries because I can't take care of any more plants. Um, but no, it's been fun like learning about them and figuring out their names and learning how to take care of them because they're all very particular and how much light they need. So that's, that's my new hobby. I, lo I love that. That's like, you know, that's a great way to give your, give yourself something to focus on. In yeah. Yeah. You know what, maybe they should do every time, like, you know, one of your, your um, athletes goes through surgery, they just get a plant. Like, that's a good idea that's part yeah. of their post-op you know they just get a plant okay this is your plant this is your plant. So name it you have to take care of it yes i like that now, it has to be living <laughs> yes that's a great idea i might i might do that <laughs> that might that might add up but yeah. it might be worth it i love it um yeah rebecca thanks so much for coming on and uh sharing your story it was it was awesome um i think you know these conversations are important and you know, I've said it a couple of times now, but you come from a unique perspective and I think it, it's good for whether it's a, you know, we have a lot of students that listen to this podcast, a lot of new grads, clinicians, and then even just like the, the general population that tunes in. And I think it's a, a really unique conversation that people can kind of pull from um, to learn a lot. So thank you so much for your time. Yeah. I think just to remind, because you do have such a vast audience that when you're hurt, it's not just a physical thing. There's big time mental game going on too and to give yourself grace and it's okay to be frustrated and, and have all those feelings um just not getting stuck in them is is the the key but it's okay to be upset and it's completely normal when you can't do what you want to do so just want to remind you guys of that yeah it's a very a very good point is there anywhere uh, people can follow you becca to to learn a little bit more from you are you on instagram or i live on instagram uh at bex physio b-e-c-s-p-h-y-s-i-o so i post a lot about my rehab journeys some rehab tips tricks all that good stuff so you can find me there it's my little creative outlet yeah i, I love it I've, I've been like definitely scrolling through <laughs> the last little bit like before the podcast and you, you you post a lot of really good stuff so thank you Awesome. Well, thank you for your time. And, uh, I think, I think you originally kind of came across our podcast through Josh Funk, who's down in the Maryland area as well. So maybe if we make the trip there sometime from Canada, we'll have to like try and connect. Um, yes. And maybe by then you'll be ready to, uh, do some form of workout and we could have some fun that way. I'm in count me in. Awesome. Love it.